Well, good morning. Thanks for coming out. This, yes, thank you. This is great. Everybody's so kind. It's good to look out and see your faces this morning. Um, before we dive in, we're going to be using the Word of God this morning. So if you don't have a copy of that, um, we have some ushers who are going to bring a Bible by. So just go ahead and raise your hand if you are, are looking for a Bible this morning as we get ready to dive in to our text. Perfect. All right, so in 2014, there were 227 passengers that were getting on flight 370 in the country of Malaysia. They were bound for China. 227 people, just like us, just trying to get from one place to another. But 38 minutes into that flight would actually prove to be the last that that plane was ever spotted or tracked by air control. One hour later, even the military radar couldn't track this flight anymore. It was last seen drastically, west, drastically westward from its path over the South China Sea. And that was it. Neither the plane nor its people were ever seen again. Its flight path disappeared. It ended up being actually one of the most costly searches in aviation history because what people knew is that a flight path doesn't disappear, right? A flight path doesn't just go away, and so this is why people began saying, where did the, where did the plane go? Uh, it's still considered to this day, six years later, one of the greatest aviation mysteries in history, Right? It all seemed like a normal day for these people. These people had plans at the other end of their flight path. These people had families at the other end of their flight path. These people had hopes and dreams at the other end of their flight path, but their flight path disappeared. This morning, we're going to look at the path that you and I are on. Because here's what we know, is that in God's world, where a flight path might disappear, in God's world, none of our paths disappear. Because you and I are all on a path of life, and God knows where that path is going. But the question arises when we think about what path we're on, and this is the question, where are you going? Where is your path going this morning? And speaking about paths, before we, we start to look at the whole of your life, I don't want to overwhelm people this morning, let's just go ahead and look at the new year, right? Because we're kind of to the point, it's January 26th, where, you know, the newness of the new year has worn off, right? Um, so speaking of your own path, let's just look at how your path is going so far this year in the year 2020, Right? So are there any New Year's resolutions people here? Anybody that likes to make like, fun, exciting goals? All right, we have one. We have a couple people back there. There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. More power to you. Um, I was actually doing a little research on this, and there's a fitness app that it measures people's uh, New Year's resolution goals in 2020, where they actually set goals on this app. And what the app said is that January 10th of this year was already the day where people's goals started to crumble. So, uh, you know, not looking so good. If you, if you look at over the course of the whole year, research says out of the millions of people that set goals and have New Year's resolutions, 8% will actually come through at the end of the day. And my point this morning is as humans, maybe as we're trying to walk on this path of life, we're not quite as strong and not quite as consistent as we thought we were. And what we're going to see this morning as we dive into our text on our path of life, we're going to see that our only hope, our only hope on this path of life 
is the source of light, which is the word of God. So this morning we're going to be in Psalm 119, verses 105 through 112. So you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles this morning. I'll give you a little bit of background while you're turning there. Uh, Just as an overview, so Psalm 119 is actually the longest chapter in the entire Bible. If I was to stand here this morning and just read through the entire chapter, it would take about 15 minutes. So I'm not going to do that. We're going to stick to our eight verses. Um, The the psalm is actually an acrostic poem. So uh, in Hebrew, there's 22 letters of the alphabet. And so each, each set of eight verses starts with the same letter of that letter of the alphabet. Um, some people have called this the ABCs of the Christian life because we're, it's based off of the alphabet. We're looking at how do we live, and what it's focusing on, though, throughout the entire psalm is the Word of God. Because out of the 176 chapters, if you look at it, you, scholars would say, and you can actually see, it doesn't take a scholar, actually, because it's right there, 171 of the 176 verses, either directly or indirectly, talk about the Word of God. We see that the Word of God is going to be very important to where we know where we're going on our path of life this morning. And this chapter has been memorized and applied. It's been very practical throughout all of history. In kind of a, I guess it wasn't funny way for this person, but kind of a different way, there was a, a bishop. His name was George Wishart. He was the Bishop of Edinburgh in the seven, 17th century. And uh, he found himself condemned to death. And so he was actually sitting there, and he was about to be uh, executed. And it was uh, a tradition back then that you could choose one psalm to be to be read um, before that you were executed. And so he decided, you know what? Why don't we have somebody read Psalm 119? And so what happened actually is two-thirds of the way in, somebody came, I don't know how, but somebody came in with some other evidence, and he was actually pardoned. So it's a good thing that he chose Psalm 119 because Psalm 117, if he'd said the wrong one, is only two verses. So that that really did save his life. But if we look at another person uh, in history, William Wilberforce, have people here heard of William Wilberforce? So he was the leader of the movement to abolish the transatlantic slave movement. You can look in his journals, and he actually memorized all 176 verses of Psalm 119, and you can see in his journal that when he was fighting for justice, when he was fighting against oppression, this is where he went for encouragement. He came to a psalm that focused on the Word of God, but he didn't just go there for encouragement. He went there for the very power that he relied on when he was fighting against the systematic injustices and the systematic darknesses of the world in which he lived. And why I'm saying that this morning, why do I use these examples, is because we aren't the first people to sit here and read these words. And we're not going to be the last people to sit here and read these words as we're on our own paths of life. And we need, just like these people who have walked before us, we need the light of the Word of God, because the light of the Word of God confronts not only the darkness out there, but it confronts the darkness inside of us. So this morning, as you're walking on your path of life, on January 26th, 2020, as you have a Bible in your hand and a Bible on your phone, I'm not talking about just what is your devotional, what is your quiet time. That's all well and good, but what I'm talking about is, is the Word of God what is guiding you on your actual path of life, not just something that you go to to check off of a list, because we need this this morning, and we have to start here. So my question is, do you really believe that it can bring, the Word of God can bring real light into the darkness of your world? Do you believe the Word of God can bring real light into the darkness of your neighborhood? 
Or maybe this morning, the darkness of your house or the darkness of your own heart. So this morning, here's where we're going as we dive into the text. First of all, we're going to see as we dive into this that you are on a path and you need the light. Second of all, we're going to see that your path is going to be hard and you still need the light. And then finally, we're going to see that you don't have to walk alone if you have the light. Let me read the text this morning. Again, Psalm 119, starting in verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Let's pray with me real quick. Lord Jesus, this morning, this message that you have brought out of your word, Father, it is a simple one. But God, we come to you and we pray that you would light up your very word to us as we walk on this path of light. God, move me out of the way and speak through your word that every single person would leave here on your path and walking by faith, trusting in you. We give you this this morning and we pray that you would speak to us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So first of all, we're going to see that you are on a path and you need the light. So look at the first two verses. I'm going to be looking at verses 105 through 106, talking about your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now before we dive in any further, I need to set the stage a little bit, because as we look at these eight verses, two words really guide the entire, entire uh, passage here. They set the stage, and it's the light and the path. And so we need to understand what is the light in this passage and what is the path in this passage. So first of all, when we're talking about the light, I'm not talking about electromagnetic radiation of any wavelength that travels in a vacuum. And I'm not talking about something that you put on your nightstand and you flip a switch on and off. What we're talking about is the Word of God. And if you look at the Word here, it says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So in Psalm 119, there's eight different words used to refer to God's words to us this morning. The word here is the Hebrew word. It's it's called dabar. That doesn't really matter. But what it means, this word is focusing on, when you think of the light, what I want you to hear this morning is God's revelation of himself to his people. Okay? God's revelation— of himself to his people. Now we see that God's word meets us where we're at. Actually, Martin Luther, he was a, a theologian uh, a long time ago. He, he said that when God would speak to us through his word, it's actually God speaking baby talk. Because we're so lowly, we're so humbled, that God has to humble himself even to speak to us in a way that we can understand. God's word meets us where we're at, but it doesn't just meet us where it's at. We know God's word is powerful. We don't go back to the beginning of Psalm 119. We go back to the very beginning of all of creation, right? The first, the first words in the Bible, in the beginning, God created. When God created, it was God's very words that spoke everything into existence. There was light that came into the chaos of the darkness of nothingness when God spoke his powerful words. But we see not only is God's word powerful, but God's word is also present. If you fast forward now to the New Testament and you look at John, in John 1, starting in verse 1, it says, Now, in the beginning was something else, was the word. And the Word actually became flesh and dwelt among us. 
This is important because what we see here is that when God is revealing himself to his people, it's not just the pages in scripture, but it's actually highlighted. The exclamation point of all of God's revelation to us is in the word made flesh, which is in the person of Jesus Christ. This is very important. So now we have the path. What is the definition of a path, right? We're all sitting in Elks Lodge. None of us is on a, a path right now uh, in that sense. But really what a, path, what a path is in this passage is both, first of all, a framework for the way that you see life, and also it is made up of where you are now and where you're going. That's what a path is in this psalm. And this is really important because what your path is on is going to guide your beliefs, and it's going to show itself in your actions. Let me give you an example. The Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens thought they were on a path to the Super Bowl. They believed they were going to win the Super Bowl, so they took certain actions to try to get there. The problem is, is we all learned a few Saturdays ago, I got to learn it with my man Tim over there, it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of fun, is that they were obviously on the wrong path because they didn't make it. And Isaiah the Titans didn't either. I had to get that in there. Um, but here's the question, though. Here's the question that is begged by that. We have to ask that at the beginning this morning. What path are you on? Is it the right path? We have to ask this at the beginning, right? And we can put ourselves here. If you look at the next verse, verse 106, we see the psalmist say, I've sworn an oath. I've confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. The psalmist has passion. The psalmist is doing everything that he can to say, how do I stay on the right path? And all of us this morning want to be on the right path, whatever that is. And we see here that the psalmist is looking back to the light because what the light does is it confronts our path and it exposes where we are. This morning, we all need to be exposed as to what place we are on our path. So again, let me ask you, what path are you on this morning? Again, we have to ask this at the beginning. I have a friend, and uh, she, was driving home, she was driving home from college one day. She drove home from college all the time. This wasn't a confusing drive to her. And uh, as she was driving down a familiar path, she missed her turn. Uh, and it was a turn onto another major highway, which is a bit problematic. And um, she was on the wrong path. Here's my point, though. As she was driving, did it matter that she was driving the speed limit? Did it matter that she was driving safely down the wrong road? So she was on the wrong path. And what happened is she was trying to get to her house in, in Washington, D.C. The problem is she didn't notice she was on the wrong path until she saw a big blue sign with yellow letters that said, Welcome to Wild and Wonderful West Virginia. Wow. It doesn't matter. And this, this applies to us, though, this morning. Because no matter what you think about what path you want to be on, you can desire it so much. If you're on the wrong path, you're not getting to the right destination. We have to start here and see what path are you on. And what we know is that the Bible says that there's only two paths. There are only two paths that the Bible ever talks about. And we know, here's the thing that gets even more humbling to us, we know this morning that it someday, it talk, Jesus talks about in the scriptures, that there will be people who come and see Jesus face to face, and he will say some of the scariest words that anybody can ever hear, and that is that I never knew you, depart from me. We need to make sure we are on the right path this morning. We don't want to end up in West Virginia when we're trying to go home. And what we're going to see is that the light puts us on the wrong path. 
But now as we're talking about the light, we all encounter a problem. Because see, the thing with human nature is, is that we don't look to the word. Instead, what we do is we try to go out and forge our own paths. Has anybody ever tried to do this? We see this in the world. We see this in our own lives. And not only do we forge our own paths, but we do something even worse as humans. We then take the light and we twist it and we fit the light into our own path so that we can be justified in what we're doing. And this is very problematic. And here's, here's what happens when we do this. First of all, we see pride sneak in when we do this, right? How easily we plan the path we want, we mold God's word to fit it. Have you ever heard anybody say this? Hey, I think God's word, God's will for me is to do fill in the blank. Well, surely God's will for me is to do something really comfortable. God's will would never be for me to sacrifice my time in this way. God's will would never be for me to talk to this person who seems unsafe. God's will would never be for me to reach out to this brother and sister because I think God just wants me to be comfortable. God just wants me to have more money. God just wants me to have more worldly success. When we fill in the blank with what we think our own path should be, we miss it. Actually, there's an entire industry on this. If you go into a bookstore and you're in a non-Christian section of the bookstore, we call these self-help books. How do you walk your path in the best way? But here's the thing that we probably don't want to hear. You can see the same thing in the Christian bookstore, too. We call these books about how do I find God's calling for my life? Surely it is grand. Surely it is easy. Surely it is attractive. That's not what we're seeing this morning because we create values and we create um, we create values and paths around what we think at the end of the day will propel us forward when we are not being guided by the light. We can't twist the light to fit our own path. Let me give you a couple more examples. These are all really convicting to me. If you value efficiency, for instance, you're going to create a path. You're going, or you're going to see life as a to-do list, and you're going to create a path of stress because you're never going to be able to do enough. If you value accomplishments, you're going to see life as a ladder that you're trying to climb up. And what you're going to do is leave behind a path of all the people that you have pulled down off of the ladder so that you can get ahead of them. Do we ever see this in the world? If you value autonomy, maybe you see life as meaningless and you just want to float around wherever you, wherever you want to go. Well, if you see that, then you're going to leave behind a path that benefits nobody but yourself. And what we see this morning is that none of these values are inherently bad. It's not bad to want to accomplish things. It's not bad to want to live efficiently. But what happens is when we make them the ultimate, they become slave drivers and they enslave us to something that is not going where God has called us to go. We have to start with the lights. Not only does pride sneak in, but the prosperity gospel sneaks in. Instead of having the good news of what Jesus has called us to do, what Jesus has done for us, it becomes the good news of what can Jesus do personally for me. Jeremiah 29, 11. I am not calling anybody out if this is one of your favorite verses. It's a beautiful Bible verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope in a future. But what we do is we take verses like this, we memorize all the ones that sound nice and fluffy and easy, and we say this. We say, who needs context? Let me fit the light into the path that I want to take. Does anybody know what a placebo is? It's like taking a placebo. It looks like medicine. It tastes like medicine. You might even think it's medicine, but at the end of the day, it's not. It won't do anything for you if you're twisting it to use it how you want it to do. So this is where pride sneaks in. This is where paralysis sneaks in. This is also where the prosperity, or this is also, uh, sorry, pride and prosperity gospel, but also paralysis. This sneaks in here. 
You might hear somebody that says, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what path to take because I'm trying to figure out God's will for my life. And I'm not minimizing that because at the end of the day, we need to seek counsel. We need to pray for wisdom about where the Lord will lead us specifically. But the problem is sometimes that becomes our ultimate and we miss what God has called us to do right in front of us. Proverbs 16.9 says, A person plans his course, but the Lord directs his steps. God's will for your life is right in front of you. It's in the word. Of, it's in the word. The question this morning is less of where are you going, but who are you following? Are you tracking with me this morning? This, so my question again, before we dive in any further, is what path are you on? There is a narrow path and there is a broad path. Jesus says enter, in Matthew 7, 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow, and the way, or path, is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The light, the light, puts us on the right path and makes a way. And again, remember, the light is the revelation of God's word himself to us, with an exclamation mark, focusing on the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. So this morning, the light puts us on the right path. Have you ever thought about the fact that there would be no path without Jesus? right? There, there is no narrow path. Jesus created the narrow path when he came to earth, and he walked a sinless life, and he, he lived in perfection, and he walked all the way straight to the cross so that he could take the very penalty for sin that we had created ourselves. Jesus created the narrow path. See, we don't just need another path. We need his path, and the only way we can find light is in the very footsteps of Jesus. But the problem is, is we don't just need a path to be made. We need a way to walk on the path. Because see, we're dead. The gospel says that we were dead in our sin and rebellion. Everybody who has rebelled against God is spiritually dead. But see, Jesus didn't just make a path. He made a way. And a matter of fact, Jesus is the way. This is what we call justification as Christians. Being on the right path means that if you believe in Jesus and his righteousness because he has become our way, then we not only are declared right before God, but we are given his righteousness ourselves. This morning, before I go any further, my question to you is what path are you on? Christ calls you this morning, if you're not on that path, to repent and to believe in him. Stop blazing your own trails of self-righteousness, right? Stop blazing your own trails of rebellion and believe in him. He brings us freedom and he puts us on the narrow path. But yet, as believers, for those of us who are on the narrow path, once we know what path we're on, we know this is just the beginning because now there is a path for us to walk. So my next point this morning is that your path is going to be hard. We look at verses 107 through 110. Now we all know this. Like, I could just say this point. I could just say, your path is going to be hard, period, move on, next point. Because the reality is, right, we all understand this. I don't need to tell Eric, I don't need to tell Aisha, I don't need to tell Wawa that your path's going to be hard because we all experience this in the day in and day out of life. The whole reason we're talking about a light is because the fact is, is that we have been born into a world that is full of darkness, right? So we see that this path is going to be really hard. Look at verses 107 through 110. Verse 107, the psalmist says, I am severely afflicted. Then in verse 109, the psalmist says, I hold my life in my hand continually. 
Um, l- let me take a second on that real quick because we, we don't usually hear phrases like that. I hold my life in my hand. So what that would have meant for the psalmist is that uh, his life was exposed to danger. So think about somebody traveling in the ancient days through a desert. You don't want to be holding your most valuable possession in your own hand. Because if you're doing that, then chances are either you're going to drop it and it's going to be broken, or there's another chance that somebody could steal this from you. Think about it like a, uh, one commentator said, think about it like a glass bottle. And in this glass bottle is your very life. And we are very prone to shatter it. What the psalmist is saying here is that he's very vulnerable. Any wrong move could be the end for him. But then on top of that, as we look to the next verse, 110 says, The wicked have laid a snare for me. What we see in these three different verses focusing on affliction is it's getting more and more specific as the psalmist is walking that now he's being opposed even directly by those who are wicked. Don't we see this in our own life in different ways, right? The psalmist is no exception. Like, this is what we see. We will all have trouble. Matter of fact, Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble, right? Take that and then add on to the fact that if we're followers of Christ, we're called to suffer because we follow Jesus, who is the one who suffered for us. But we know, if you read the rest of John 16, that Jesus says, but take heart because he has overcome the world. The light that we're following is a light that has overcome the darkness. And we see actually that in this psalm, if you look at these verses, you see that first of all, he says how afflicted he is, but then as he starts to talk about the next two afflictions, a new word appears, and it's the word but. He says, but he will trust in God's word. He says, but I do not forget your law, but I do not stray from your precepts. His plea for life turns into assured defiance. And this is what happens for us as we look towards the light. So my question this morning is how are you walking? How are you walking in the hardship of life? Uh, Amy and I uh, actually had just a little over a month ago, uh, one of our neighbors was murdered. Uh, She lived a few houses down from us. She ran a corner store. And uh, during a, a robbery, a person shot her Uh, in front of her young kids. And we were at a vigil for this lady just a few uh, evenings ago. And uh, we were seeing kind of the pain and the confusion of what it's like walking on the hardships of this path of life as we went there for the vigil. And we all showed up, and there was about 200 people there because this was a, you know, a terrible situation for our neighborhood and for our family. And what we ended up doing, Amy and I didn't realize this, is we ended up walking two miles from East Baltimore all the way downtown to the courthouse down Fayette Street. So we, as we're walking on this path, We were chanting different things. There are people leading it. We were chanting, we want justice. And that all sounds well and good, right? We're chanting something. We're in a cause. We're caring about this. But what happened for me as I was walking is, I was somewhere near the back of the path, is I was walking right behind the husband of the woman who was shot and right next to the sisters of the woman who was shot. And even though they were able to say that, it didn't matter that we were chanting that. None of that was bringing back her It doesn't change anything. And we have to realize this is how life works. This is the kind of hardship. This is the kind of confusion. This is the kind of real brokenness that we see. And this is the kind of real brokenness that the light of the word of of God still addresses. So maybe this morning you say, Andrew, you know what? I'm on the right path, but I'm on the ground. I don't even know how to get up this morning. I'm crawling, you know? 
Maybe you're like me after playing basketball yesterday and you're just feeling sore and you're feeling hobbled and you're feeling weak. Wherever you are this morning, the light guides us on the right path. We need the light to guide us. But here's what happens. This happens with me anyways. As we struggle, as we see this, there is an easy temptation that comes. And this is one of the greatest tricks of the enemy to those who are on the right path. We see the hardship, we feel the hardship, and we don't know what to do with it. And so this is where we do one of two things, I think, so often that are both a lot easier. One of them is strolling. You just say, you know what? Life's too hard. I'm checking out. I can't deal with reality more. I'm just going to walk off and go my own way. I'm done with this. This, this is too difficult. Or the other is we see the brokenness, and we say, I'm not going to stroll. I'm actually going to strive. We say, okay, this is terrible. I'm going to put it all on my shoulders, and I'm going to fix it myself. Does anybody feel like they fit into one of those two tendencies this morning? For me, I feel like I go back and forth between the two, if you were to ask me. But what we see is that strolling, to to dive in on this, strolling leads us where we don't want to go every single time. I'm going to use two examples from the Old Testament to talk about these. So if you look at strolling, I'm going to use the example of the Israelites. So the Israelites have escaped from Egypt. God brought them out of slavery. God brought them into freedom. What happened after they crossed the Red Sea, they knew that God had delivered them. They began to say, you know what? This is really hard. You know what? Like, this isn't going exactly the way we thought it was going to be. So hey, maybe, maybe we should just go back. Maybe we should just go back to Egypt. Or you know what? God's showing us the promised land that he's told us, but the people there are really strong. And so what God said is, you know what? Enough of this. You don't have faith in me. An entire generation of Israelites, God said, that's it. You're just going to be wandering around the desert. And so the Israelites, that entire generation, spent their time strolling and wandering through the deserts of Jordan. And again, what we see is that as we're strolling, it gets us, it leads us to the wrong place. Has anybody ever heard the phrase, not all who wander are lost? Like that, that sounds cool, and like that can have its own application if you're, you're walking through the woods one day, and you know, you're, you're having a moment. But here's the thing, is in the Christian walk, wandering does not work. See, you will end up where you don't want to go, because see, we have an enemy who is against us. And the word says that our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. We can't spend time just strolling around as Christians. Not only do we have an enemy, but we will also ultimately give in to sin. And I think it's so easy when we're strolling is we get really comfortable with things. We get really comfortable with small aspects of sin that feel like they fit really good into our life because life's hard. I don't want to deal with it. Let me just look to the sin instead. But the thing is, is no matter how innocent it is, sin ultimately always leads to death. I was reading an article uh, about a woman who owned a python snake. Now, first of all, a python snake, owning a python snake, I don't think that's very innocent. So that, that was her first mistake. But the lady with her snake, she decided she loved it so much. It was really cute, I guess. I don't know if, snakes, if anybody thinks snakes are cute, but she thought that. And so she decided to let the snake uh, stay in her room with her. She took it out of the cage. So it was actually very normal that the snake would sleep in the same bed as her, um, which is crazy. I know, I know. Only on the news, right? Um, but so anyways, uh, as time goes on, she realized her snake was not eating. And so she took the snake to the vet. She was like, what's wrong with my snake? Like, it's not eating these rats that I feed it anymore. And what the vet said to her was, a snake will stop eating for a prolonged amount of time when it is saving up to have a very big meal. 
So though I don't think it was ever very innocent, she thought that that was all, very, all well and good and all fine, but the snake was fixing to eat her. This is how it is when we play with sin. Sin leads to death. It, we can't mess with it, right? It will kill us. We can't stroll as Christians. This morning, stop coasting. If you're coasting through the path of life, it's not going to make your hardships any easier. But on the other hand, you might say, you know what? I'm just going to do it myself. You know, this life, this world is so broken. Let me just put it on my own shoulders, and I'm going to strive. Well, we see an example for that as well in the Old Testament. If you look at the book of Judges, what we see when you strive is it leads to cycles of idolatry. And what idolatry means is worshiping a false god. If you, if you follow the pattern of Judges, right, it's cyclical. It's cycles where the Israelites go, they, they start falling into sin, God sends a judge who delivers them. But then again, what happens, just like Gideon, after he does everything, he starts to worship himself instead of the true God. When we begin to strive in our own strength, pride sneaks in. And when pride sneaks in, we begin to fall into cycles of idolatry. Here's a verse near the end of, end of the book of Judges that gives me chills, honestly, every time I read it. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Brothers and sisters, this is not the way that we can live. This will not get us anywhere. This will lead us back to death. So this morning, we realize the light is here to guide us on the right path, but we can't strive and we can't stroll. This morning, where are you stuck? Think about this in your own life. Maybe this morning you are feeling comfortable and you're just strolling along in the desert of life. Praise God that we serve one who, who pursues those who wonder. Maybe this morning you're striving and you're trying so hard. You're trying to overcome that sin. You're trying to reach this person, but you're doing it in your own power. And all you're doing is falling down again and again and failing. Stop trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's not what it means to follow Christ. We follow a God who frees the captives. This morning, my question again is how are you walking on this path of life? Here's the other way. We're not called to strive. We're not called to, to stroll. We are called to sojourn. Yeah. Now, this is a word we don't hear a lot, right? Um, what it means is that we're walking here for now. Our feet are on the ground. But at the same time, we know that this world isn't our home. And it means that we walk in dependence. Now, if you actually take Psalm 119 and you look at it from verse 1 to verse 176, here's the two verses that we see on both sides of it. We see the psalmist beginning in the blessedness of obedience, saying, blessed are those who are blameless. But as you get all the way to the end, 176 verses later, the psalmist says, um, we see that the psalmist has gone astray. We see that the psalmist now has gone from the blessedness of obedience to feeling like he's strayed, but realizing and coming back at the very end to realizing that he is called to repent and come back to the word of God. As we sojourn, we're not going to walk perfectly. That's okay. We have a God and we have a light that continues to guide us back to the right path. Right? And the beauty of this is that sojourning leads us back to our identity because we are called sojourners. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. This calls us back to our identity. This earth is not our home. Right? But this is what we call, this is what we say. Some people talk about the now and not yet. We are living here now, but we know that there's something that is better to come. 
So what this does for us as we sojourn is it means that we don't live as people who are only just checked out of this world. We, we're not done here yet. We realize that the Lord has called us to be here now. But on the other hand, we don't make our kingdom here because this isn't our home. We are called to be here, but we know that we're going somewhere else, right? And we see that the light guides us on our right path. This is sanctification. We saw justification earlier. Now we're seeing sanctification as we walk according to this light. If you look back at verse uh, 105, uh, when you see that the word is the lamp to our feet and the light to our path, these are actually important words. When you look at the, the idea of a lamp to our feet, the Hebrew idea of a lamp here is actually indicating just enough light for your immediate area. When we're talking about a lamp, think about holding a small candle in front of you. And what this means is that we're walking step by step by step. And one other thing, it's not a lamp to your mind. It's not a lamp to your ideas. It's a lamp to your feet. This means, brothers and sisters, that we are called to walk. Boots on the grounds. We are called to be present where God has put us. But on the other hand, we see that it's a light to our path. Now, the Hebrew idea of this is actually of something booming and bright and clear. So instead of a little candle, when we're talking about the whole path, think about the morning sun when you wake up and the sunlight is shining in. God's light has a light enough for the entire path of light. We are called to walk both now step by step, but trusting that God has the whole path ahead of us. So the final thing, just in closing, is that we don't have to walk on this path alone if we have the light. So if we look, let's look at verses 111 through 112. So verse 111 says, Your testimonies are my heritage. And just a quick shout out before I finish, there is a book back at the bookstore um, actually called His Testimonies, My Heritage. And it is actually a walking through the entire Psalm 119. I think there's only one copy left, but it is incredible. I've gone through it. Every single chapter is written by a woman of color, and every single chapter focuses in different ways on how the Word of God applies to our life. So there's one copy. Whoever wants to get it, I highly recommend it. Um, but my question this morning is we see that his testimonies are our heritage, and we're thinking about the fact that we don't have to walk alone. We need to think about this. Is what testimony this morning counts for you? Right? Because see, what we see is that if we're not in Christ, if we don't have the light of Christ on our behalf, then when we're coming before God at the end of the day, the only testimony we have for ourselves is us by ourselves before God. And if you are alone this morning with your, all that you have, with your, your works, you have nothing, right? You are accused. Our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. This morning, we have to realize that we're not alone. We receive the very testimony of our God through Christ. So not only are we no longer alone this morning, but we are free, right? So again, we know we're not going to walk perfectly. We know that we're going to have course corrections. But as we actually live in the testimony of Christ, here's the beautiful thing that happens. Our testimony as we're brought into Christ, actually becomes a part of the testimony of God himself. Do you realize this morning that your life, as you live in Christ, becomes a testimony to the watching world of the light of Christ? As we rest in this, we're able to walk because now his testimonies are our heritage. And we, when we think about the word heritage, uh, a heritage signifies family, right? 
We all have a heritage. All of us sitting in this room have a heritage. My, uh, my grandparents decided to really dive into this. They created a family tree, and it's a book of 200 pages thick of our family heritage, going back, I don't know, however far. Um, we all have this, but the thing is, that's way more beautiful than our family heritage. I was reading about some of the people in my family, and everything wasn't that great. I wasn't all that proud sometimes for my family heritage. But the thing is, is that we have a new heritage if we are in the light of Christ this morning. And this heritage affects our past, our present, and our future. Because here's the thing, our heritage, as we look in Hebrew, it sa- Hebrews, it says that we have a great cloud of witnesses. The heritage that we're walking in is the very heritage of our brothers and sisters in Christ who have walked before us. We are walking on a well-worn path. We have to see this as we look back to our past, but then we also look to our present this morning, right? Because see, we talked about this at the retreat yesterday. I'm not just walking on the path by myself as a Christian. See, we walk presently in our heritage as a family, as the very family of God, which is called the church. My call to us this morning is let's walk together. Our heritage is a family. And then third, we see that it affects our future. And this is where the hope comes in, because at the end of the day, we don't just need to be on the right path, we don't, but we need to be on a path that's going somewhere. A path has a direction and a final destination. We have an inheritance that we're walking into eternity as brothers and sisters in Christ to our God who will make all things new for those who are in Christ this morning. And we see why the psalmist says in the second half of verse 111 that his testimonies are a joy to our heart. This morning, do you find that to be the truth for you? Are you resting? Are you taking heart? Are you taking joy in that reality? But again, as we look at verse 112 in closing, it says, forever to the end. I incline to perform my, my heart to perform your statues forever and to the end. This is glorification. Our path is going somewhere. We saw justification. We need to be put on the right path. We see sanctification. We need to be guided on the right path. And now we see glorification. The path is going somewhere. And one day, this is tied to the light, and the light will shine on those who finish well as we end on the path. And we are there forever to the end in eternity with the God who created us. This is good news this morning. The path is hard, but it's going somewhere. One day, we will finish strong if we are in the lights, right? But I have one question of application before I pray us out this morning. And my question is, as we think about this forever, my question is, how are we shining the light? Because see, there are a lot of people who aren't on this path. See, the stakes are high because there's two paths, and these paths both lead somewhere. One leads to heaven, one leads to hell, and we see that they both lead somewhere forever. And our call now as Christians isn't just to walk on our path and to be happy with ourselves, but actually we know that there was somebody who came hundreds and hundreds of years after this psalm was written, and he also talked about a light, and he also talked about a lamp, and his name is Jesus. And in Matthew 5.15, he says, don't put a lamp under a basket, but rather put a lamp on a stand so it can shine its light to the oncoming world. This isn't just about us as we walk on our path. My question this morning is, where is your light shining? And I think that's the question that we all have to think about this morning, because that's something we're called to as believers, or maybe what's covering your light up this morning? 
And see, we don't just shine our light generically as Christians. Uh, I, was, I was spending some time yesterday, and again, I'm not trying to hate on this. There were a lot of uh, Christian t-shirts at the, the camp center that we were at yesterday. And, you know, there are some pretty corny ones and some kind of clever ones, you know, if you want to give them some credit. But at the end of the day, as believers, like, we didn't just leave the retreat center and say, hey, let's all buy a Christian t-shirt, come back home, and let's wear them out in the neighborhood and call it a day and say we've shined the light. We're not called to just generically shine the light. We are called to go and proclaim the light with our mouth and live out the implications of the life as we're walking, right? We need to be present with the people who need light. A closing example, um, I was talking to a, a pastor who I know, and he had a friend. Um, she was a pilot, and she, she had quit her, her job as a pilot years ago because um, she had several friends who were pilots, and they were all in planes on September 11th. And what happened is that on that fateful day, she received word that six of her friends died on those planes who were pilots that were flown into the two towers. Now she was talking, and she understood that she was called to shine her light to those who didn't have a light. But she harbored pain, she harbored bitterness, especially against people who looked like the type of people who flew those, blane, those planes into the building. Fast forward 20 years, she walks into a daycare class. She was working for an English as a second language daycare class, and she, she walks in, and she sees eight kids from Afghanistan, little kids standing there with their big eyes smiling at her. And as she looked at those kids, something in her changed. She realized these people are made in the very same image of God that I am. And on top of this, these people and their parents as well need the light of Jesus Christ just as much as we do. And see, what happened when she was, in, was actually in front of people is she realized that she was called to shine the light to them. And what happened is that she was drastically changed. And to this day, she's involved in that English as a Second Language program. My point this morning is when we go to shine the light to people, it's messy. It's not easy. We don't always want to shine the light to certain people, right? But we are called to, and we see that not only will it change us, because God uses this process to, put a, to create us into his image, but he will also use this to shine his light. So this morning, who, not, not just what, like think about actually who, what people specifically, not just in theory, what people are you shining the light to this morning? We have to think about this as we close. And one word of encouragement is as we walk, we don't go telling people to change paths. Because see, what happens is as we're walking, everybody's telling people to change paths. You can look at a marketing ad online, and it's telling people to change their path. You can look at any religion, and it's telling them to change their path. But what Christianity does is we actually point people to the light, and we realize that the light is what changes people's paths. Because when somebody meets Jesus, it will drastically change where the course of their life is going. So this morning, may we be people as we walk who shine the light of Christ. To summarize this morning, you are on a path. What path are you on this morning? This is our justification. If you're not on the path, come talk to one of us. We would love to talk to you about what this means and how Christ has made a way for us. Second of all, your path is going to be hard. How are you walking this morning? This is our sanctification. And finally, we don't have to walk alone. The path is going somewhere. This is our glorification. 
the light, the very God's word revealed to us, made flesh in Jesus, puts us on the path, guides us on the path, and leads us home. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, that you have not just made a path for us, but you have made a way. We thank you because we know that without you, there is only darkness, and you are the light, and you met us where we were at. And we thank you that you haven't called us just to sit in that, but to walk, God, in this by faith. Father, this morning, may we be a church that is on the right path. May we be a church that is walking on the right path in your light together as the family that you've created us to be. And may we be a church that is shining that light into all areas of messiness, brokenness, and darkness. God, we pray that we would see more and more of your light go forth here in this neighborhood, God, here in this city, and in our world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.